I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What is up, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball, a Noons Magician production. Today, myself and my co-host Bobby will be talking about the week in Syracuse basketball, including Syracuse's loss to NC State, some ACC scheduling talk, and we'll also get into the Duke and Louisville matchups ahead. Uh, So hang with us. We got a lot of good information coming your way, a lot of good conversation to be had. Without further ado, let's talk orange. Puts up the shot, it's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. What is up, everyone? Thank you for joining us on this episode of Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball. I'm Dylan, I'm here with my co-host Bobby. What's up, man? Hey! How we doing? So a short week last week, a packed week this week, and... Things are looking scary, the responses are hot, and people want to see drastic changes to Syracuse basketball. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a tough uh, tough week for Syracuse this week, a gl- glim week, is that a word? Glum? Yeah, yeah so uh, we figured we'd open this uh, show up with a, a nice little quote straight from the comments section. So uh, just, you know, uh, prepare yourself. Uh, this one's not coming from us, but Bobby, you want to take it away? Yeah, so I, I was on the recap for the NC State game, which of course was a blowout loss for the Orange, and they had come off a win to BC, tough loss to FSU the week before that, but this loss shook a lot of people to the core, so we had encouraging things like this in the comments section on Noons last week right after the game. It's time to discuss trying to quietly force Beheim out, and that's you had the preview up at the top. It's time to discuss dot 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 trying to quietly force Beheim out. The program has cratered the last five or so years, and it's not acceptable. There's absolutely no player development. Recruiting has stagnated. His rotations make no sense. The offense is horrible, and there's too many nights like tonight where there is no freaking effort up and down the roster. Always will have the utmost respect for what Beheim has done for this city. He was a brilliant coach. Was he just doesn't have it anymore? <laughs> oh wow! Um, I think the first reply to that comment was uh, was man, we got to send you back to the asylum <laughs> over at the dot com. So, yeah, I threw that in our Slack, and as crazy as it was, there seemed to be some chit-chat about how's Bayheim doing right now because a couple years ago they missed the tournament. They're in the Final Four a year before that, and then last year they made the Sweet 16 run, which was a miraculous run. Like That was the most unlikely thing I've seen following this team was that team going as far as they did. Now this year, they're right back on the bubble by all accounts. And we'll talk about where they're standing at this point after another tough loss. And they've had quite a few this year. But, I mean, they did beat Duke. 
they have a pretty good NET standing so far. Um, they're competitive across many of these games. It's just these ones that really let you down and they completely fall out of things the way they did to Old Dominion, the way they did to Buffalo. More recently now in conference, you're going to have the NC State loss, which sticks out, and Georgia Tech, of course, as well. They were completely uncompetitive in that game. That's what this commenter and some people are talking about. Like, Is the exception to the rule those Duke games, the tournament runs, and how much do you weigh those disappointing losses, the games you have to have against that? Yeah, so I actually threw up on the into the Twitter sphere. Um, Syracuse over the last five years. You ready for this? So in 2014-2015, and so this this was during sanction time, yeah. you had a self-imposed ban. Uh, and but they would Sy- have made it that year, right? They would not have made it. No. Would not have made the tournament. They were 18 and 13. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, 2015-2016, 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. 2016-2017, missed tournament. 2017-2018, the last team, the 68th team into the tournament. Mm-hmm. 2018-2019, we are again a bubble team. Now, obviously, these are presented without uh, the overall context where, you know, Syracuse had the sanctions imposed on it um, over the last few years. And... During two of those seasons where Syracuse was living in or around the bubble, um, they went to the Sweet 16 in one and the Final Four in the other. So, yes, we're, we're kind of, you know, playing. We're already pretty deep into discussion about this, and this isn't where I wanted the direction of this to go. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to have this conversation. It's, it's still six games left of this season. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, funny to put that in context because, like, uh, that dude's obviously being ridiculous. That's, like, a little – that's over the top. But uh, people are getting these feelings based on the constant, um, the constant bubble uh, situation that Syracuse has been put on because like maybe it's wearing on people and it's not where people expect this program to be. I don't know. It, it's the inconsistency that kills people because we see what the team's potential is in those big, big wins, and they now have ones over Duke, Ohio State. Uh, they, Ohio State not looking as good as it did at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, they lost that to was, Illinois, too. and that was the number one NET team at one point, and they're now down to forty-four. So that loss speaks for itself how far it's dropped, going from one to forty-four. It's it's the inconsistency that drives people crazy. In one year, out the next, great win, horrible loss to a team you shouldn't lose to. Those things are going to get to people, and it's understandable. And I'm still under the presumption that this is a great team. It's one that can make the tournament, play both sides of the ball, and drive deep into the tournament, as they were expected to this year. And if they don't, there's going to be reasonable frustration with a team that had high expectations going into this year. The thing is, I'll give this to the people who doubt this team right now. They weren't playing the best of the conference at the beginning, and as we've seen the conference shape out, a conference that had nine berths last year for the tournament, mm-hmm. it's only going to have seven max if Q's gets in, six if they don't probably. So the conference is weaker this year, and they've beaten up on the bottom half of the conference so far, and now in the final six games they're going to have to show what they're made of against the best of the best, and that's great because you can up your resume, but at the same time, it might expose this team. Now, I'm under the presumption that they're going to be able to get it done in one or two of these games just because I think they are a good team. They, they Against NC State, they showed reason to suspect they might not be, yeah. and I'm not going to overreact to that one game as some people did, as this guy did, but wow, it was bad. It was horrible. That was uh, definitely tough, and you're... <laughs> 
You're a little bit bold, I think, for uh, <laughs> for saying that you still really believe in this Syracuse team. I mean, I guess coming after off this week, um, but maybe it's not as bold as you'd think. And you're right; we should be careful not to overreact. So let's jump into some news. You know, being about seven minutes in, uh, let's uh, let's get the news out of the way that we we could break down that NC State game. Um, first and most importantly, uh, Syracuse is hosting ESPN's College Game Day for Syracuse versus Duke on Saturday, February 23rd, as you guys all probably have had pinned on your calendars for a long so time. So that's going to that's gonna be an action-packed day because at 11's game day, 12 is our Noon's Magician meetup, which I'm sure you're going to introduce. At Wolf's Beer Garden. Yeah. yeah, so you're pretty much running right from morning to night. A lot of drinking, a lot of hanging out, a lot of fun. And then tip-offs at 6, which was earlier than I expected, but good. Yeah, I like like the early tip-offs, man. Um, I'm a fan of the 6 instead of 8. Yeah, so again, um, to just not blow by that, at Wolf's Beer Garden on February 23rd, the day of the Duke game, come hang out with NoonsMagician.com and the writers and the community um, down there from noon to 4. We'll be hosting. I'll be there. You're going to be there? I'm going to be there as well. Cool, great. And yeah, I'm having some company in town, so I'll I'll have some people uh, coming through. Um, and I'm sure it sounds like we're getting a pretty good turnout from uh, people that have replied to the posts on the blog. Uh, so, yeah, definitely come hang out with us. That's from noon to four. Uh, we'll be trying to sell you guys some T-shirts, selling you some koozies, uh, and it'll just be fun to hang out. I could use a koozie. Yeah. Uh, we're just missing the California people. No John. Lots of people want to see something done in California, which, <laughs> you know, maybe they will. Yeah. Uh, I will say, Duke, Syracuse, are they rivals? At this point, as we go into another year of this uh, conversation, because it's so much fun, the Syracuse people get worked up on our side. I think the argument on the other side is that the Duke people don't care about it as much. Right. Uh, Duke cares about everybody, but they especially care about UNC, right? Like, Mm -hmm. their fans go crazy for everybody. Duke UNC's Wednesday. Right. Yeah, Duke UNC Wednesday. That's going to be so much fun. Um, But... Yeah, Duke, like, we're not rivals to Duke. And to me, rivals need to be mutually respected. And I don't want to get into a long conversation about this, but, like, you need to have a mutual agreement that something is a rivalry. I'm ha- I think it's fun that we can, um, that we play them so tough consistently. Um, but definitely, I don't know, not in my mind. You got, you got an well, opinion there? I think the fact that Syracuse has beaten them so often since coming into this conference. Take them down as number one this year, the John Gillen game, uh, the original one at the Carrier Dome when the Qs joined the ACC. I mean, these are games that should probably be getting to some Duke fans at this point. Mm. And I'm a proponent that it is slowly becoming a rivalry because of this. Now, it's so young, the conference birth, the Syracuse 2013 it so happened so short ago that I th- think people are careful to, you know, not interfere with that UNC Duke type history. But um, I, I bring up the rivalry discussion because as the ACC prepares to consolidate that conference schedule with the network starting and everything like that, they d- they've declared teams rivals with each other. Oh, consol- by consolidate you mean expand? Yeah, expand the schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have gone from. 18 games in ACC play to now 20, yep. as you're saying. And so uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, for people out there, take a look. There's a there's a nice little graphic it's that was posted. Handy, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, what they did was they declared teams rivals. Each, ri- each team gets assigned two rivals, and those are teams that you will play twice, home and home, each year, every year for the three years out that they plan it. 
and then you'll have the teams that you have a home and home with uh, just for that single season. And then you have teams that you'll just play at home and just play it away. So it's a neat little breakdown. But, yeah, uh, talk now is about uh, Syracuse gets assigned Boston College and Pitt. How do you feel about that? <laughs> it makes sense because those are the teams they've been playing homes and home homes with since they joined the conference. And you have 15 teams. You need home and home with two squads, and that pretty much produces uh, you know, four times two games between those teams. And my thing is just that rivals doesn't fit in every single category. Now, you can argue whether Syracuse and Duke are rivals because of the heated, fun matchups that they've had on both sides of there. I'm not sure about Syracuse and BC, and I'm not sure about Syracuse and Pitt. Those aren't, Syracuse, Pitt might border because you got the football thing there, the Big East history, and this Big East history with BC as well, which is probably geographically why they put these teams together. But no one's getting hyped up for Syracuse, BC games. No one's going crazy about the Pitt games until Pitt gets out of the dumpster, as they have not this year. Yeah, so uh, you make a, you bring up a good point with the geographical stance. Um, so what the ACC did was they took a look at it uh, – and they said, all right, well, we're going to try to align it geographically and also uh, try to match up some competition. So uh, some of the North Carolina schools, they tried to level out by, you know, giving Duke and UNC um, each other, obviously. Yeah, you get the North Carolina matchups, you get the Virginia matchups, Florida's right. all together. So it, it makes sense. You know, maybe you could flip Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. Like, that's not a very geographical thing. But my thing is that... Having the home and homes yearly makes sense as far as continuously having 20 games every year, but to call them rivals, like that just sounds so goofy. Right. So here's here's one thing, and I I don't want to get too deep into this because <laughs> this is so isolated on me. Um, but for for a fantasy football league, right? So what we did was we broke a 12 team league down into four divisions, and then. Um, of those four divisions, you play the two, so there's three teams per division, and you play the other two guys twice, and only one t- player makes it out of your league or out of your division to make the playoffs. Yeah. So it has intensified a rivalry. It actually kind of was one of the better things that we've ever done in our league by uh, making you play these guys over and over. I mean, I'm not sure how it's going to work on a larger scale uh, such as this one, but like maybe playing. BC and Pitt over the next couple of years more often can give us more opportunity for, you know, a coach to say some angry remark or storm out of um, storm out of the gym after a big W that can, like, light a fire for a rivalry. Well, well what's going to have to happen is Pitt's going to have to get good, which gives them a chance to. BC's right. going to have to get good, which is going to be tougher because I don't know who's going to get recruited up there. They had that strong team last year, but then they fall right back to the point where it's just two easy games for Q's this year. And ultimately, those pick games are a bit of a walkthrough, too. So we've seen these teams go at each other home and home for a few years now. And not much is developed there. And just slapping the rivals label on it isn't going to do it. Those things you mentioned have a chance to happen. I don't give them a great chance to happen. But, you know, it's it's just part of the scheduling quirks, just like the home games, the home and homes. I mean, there's a couple other home and homes that are going to swap in here, too. I mean, Duke's going to – Duke and Q's are going to have a home and home in a few years again. So, I mean, like, you're not slapping a rivalry title on theirs. It's just – 
Hey, well, I mean, semantics. Yeah, Pitt's gonna be. Pitt's definitely gonna get better. Uh, they're definitely on the upswing. They've got the young team. I think, as we've talked about on this show before, um, they're mostly carried by freshmen right now, and they're all gonna return. Plus, they just added a four-star recruit, and I think that they're still hot on the recruiting trail. So definitely, Pitt's gonna be taking a step forward. I'm not sure as sure about BC. Um, but yeah, hopefully Pitt can develop into a, a pretty decent rivalry with us moving forward. But yeah, then it, like again, I mean, obviously you get the expansive ACC schedule, and this is more about money than anything. Yeah, so, so this is for the ACC network, and it's going to expand the schedule by two games. You have the preseason tournaments, as John wrote about, that are going to probably stay. And that just because teams like playing good teams on neutral sites. Right. Syracuse the in the preseason NIT for next year. Yeah. So that's going to stay. You're going to try to maintain those New York relationships, I'd imagine. Buffalo, St. Bonaventures, those are pretty well Cornell. ingrained. Cornell. Uh, it's just going to tighten up other areas. And what it really calls in the question, and we talked about this before, how much room is there going to be for the old Big East rivalries? Because Syracuse has essentially been scheduling ACC games, traditional rivalries within New York, as well as Big East rivalries. So they've been in three areas trying to maintain a schedule. And so you get UConn every year, you get Georgetown every yeah. year. That's going to be tougher to do now. And you wonder if it's just going to take Syracuse further away from that Big East time. And Bayheim doesn't care about it. Every time they ask about the Big East, who's like, oh, it's great, it's over now. Yeah. We might actually, as far as the schedule goes, be reaching that territory where it actually was great and now it's in the past because these teams have no regular relationship anymore. The Georgetown deal is done. With this 20-game schedule coming, it's hard to imagine it getting picked back up within the scheme of everything. Right, yeah, Syracuse has been able to uh, maintain those relationships with, I mean, so Syracuse had the home-and-home home with Georgetown, which has lasted for four years. Yeah. That was a four-year home-and-home, home, but currently nothing set for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Syracuse was able to maintain the UConn uh, connection, even though they got it this year through the preseason tournament that mm-hmm. we were in. What was the preseason tournament? We were, that was, was that the called? 2K class. The 2K class, right. So we got to play them. Uh, via that outlet um, but yeah it's definitely going to get harder and harder and it almost it disincentivizes making your um, out of conference schedule tougher too because you have such an expansive ACC schedule so why not just schedule cupcakes in non-conference play that's the thing too if you're, if you're Duke you're getting UNC twice a year through the rivals outlet so you get an advantage in that sense and then everybody else, say Syracuse, Pitt, BC stink, four-year games in ACC are going to be against lower-level, probably quartile two or three teams, quartile two, I'd imagine. And then all of a sudden you put more pressure on your non-conference schedule. And Syracuse has had a lot of pressure on their non-conference schedule going up in the bubble these last few years. They were saved by it last year, I'd argue with some of the uh, wins that they had through that stretch. So scheduling is so important. When you put restrictions on scheduling, it's going to give some teams advantages. It's going to put pressure on others. And I think Syracuse, with those matchups, at least how it's looking now, it's going to be pressure on them to both maintain rivalries but also put the best schedule out there. Because, you know, those those UConn-Georgetown games haven't done a lot for them. In fact, this year where they almost lost to Georgetown, that game could have killed them. Right, and you did lose to UConn. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's which, right. Which looks really bad right now because UConn... Yeah, so what incentive is there to do those realistically if it's a you know lose lose? There is none. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds uh, moving forward. Definitely. Scheduling's fun though. Yes, it's fun to talk about. Definitely, and 
props to Kip Wellman, I guess, for, you know, working so hard on those. He's mm-hmm. I feel like we've had pretty good schedules the last few years. Like schedules Those schedules have gotten us in the tournament, realistically. Yeah. So thank you to Kip Wellman. Shout out. Uh Mike Hopkins update. I think we're gonna install this as a regular uh segment. Quick He's uh, pretty much owns the Pac twelve at this point. Yeah, so he's twenty and five now, one loss in the Pac twelve. They lost last week to Arizona State. Um, they fought off Washington State on the road last night, um, that being Saturday night. Jalen Noel dropped 20 points. Um, they're, they're a tournament team. Yeah, and that's one of the teams, you know, it's weird to think about the Pac-12 being a one-berth league. It might be with the conference champion moving if on. If they make it, yeah. yeah. If, they, if they win the tournament, they'll, it'll probably so be So th- that's where you start getting into that territory where Pac-12 becomes one of those middling conferences, amazingly enough, where... You really root for that front-running team to win the tournament because then it's just one berth. If Arizona State, say, sneaks up and wins it, you're talking about two berths out of that conference right. and less space for Syracuse on the bubble. And that really almost squeezed Q's last year. I think what ultimately saved Q's was that you had Louisville, Q's, a bit of a toss-up between those two teams, and they ended up picking Syracuse. And with all the teams that ended up stealing their conference berths, could have gone much differently. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that that'll be fun to watch. I don't I don't know how much uh, Syracuse fans or fans of teams on the bubble in general like actually pay attention to the conference tournament season and the championship games. Where you know that can that can break uh, that can burst some teams' bubbles, and it's kind of exciting um, if you can you know not have your anxiety run rampant during this time. Yeah, and the real one to watch too is Buffalo because Buffalo. They were world beaters through the non-conference stretch. They knock off multiple Power 5 teams, including Syracuse, and they're in the top 25. But then they break into their conference stretch, and they're losing the, some Illinois team. And I think they have three conference losses at this point. I mean, their schedule was tricky because the non-conference, they loaded up. Then they pretty much play a conference schedule where they had nothing to gain and everything to lose, and they've lost three games. So... That at least makes you think that maybe Buffalo could lose their conference tournament and they still have the non-conference resume to get into the tournament. That could be a scary two-team berth as well. So the good thing for Q's is that the ACC is probably going to have less berths than they did a year ago. So that opens up a few spots too. Right, so yeah, that'll that'll definitely make this uh, this stretch for Syracuse coming up pivotal because as, as uh, we know, Syracuse's schedule the rest of the way is definitely difficult and um Syracuse currently sitting at about an eight or nine seed depending on the outlet that you're looking at might fall a little bit after this NC State loss this week um but you know if Syracuse is stuck in reverse you know heading into the tournament what is what does recency bias play a role um how how will the committee look at that uh for Syracuse and I pulled that stat a year ago because they did it again six straight years they've ended the year two and four so I don't think recency bias plays a ton in it, and this this could be their seventh straight year when you look at the remaining six that are left going two and four because you hope you beat Wake Forest, you hope you beat Clemson. The other four are just top-notch teams, UNC, Duke, Virginia, and those teams. So it's it's going to be tricky with this team. NC State is really the line because they're the seventh team in the ACC right now. NC State's two and a half games behind them even though they won because they go out and lose to Duke the next game. NC State. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We'll see. That's going to be the line right there, I think. they got to stay ahead of NC State, and on Wednesday, they just got walloped. Yeah, so let's talk about that. 73-58. It was ugly. Yeah. It was bad. It was no good. Uh, it was horrible. Um, and that being the only game just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Like, you, we had this the whole rest of the week to just... To just soak in the complaining yeah. and the overreaction and oh. everything else. And the takes are hot. Yeah, takes are hot. So Frank Howard drops 21 on 5 of 11 for th- from 3. Finally, his 3 started to go down. But he had four ugly turnovers. Mm-hmm. Real bad. Yeah, like, like the one behind the back. Ball, yeah. And yeah, like he doesn't look great when getting to the basket. Um, his decision-making is still, like, you know, not where it should be. I don't know. What are you seeing there? It's It was the live ball turnovers that cost them that game because NC State was getting out on the run for those dunks, for those finishes. Um Braxton Beverly was deadly at the three-point line, so he killed them in that sense. And NC State was able to just take cues out of their offensive rhythm to where the battle wasn't able to get to the ball. He's turned over the ball a ton. Um, Brissett regressed. Chukwu was not able to get involved at all. So this team is getting back to its offensive struggles a little bit, which is concerning to see because integrating Bayheim, running that battle Bayheim lineup had gotten them some massive progress on the offensive end so then after all that progress you're like all right now Howard just needs to catch up and in this game he does five threes he held them in the game with a lot of those threes as NC State was streaking and on a night like that where he drops maybe his best game of the season right up there with Duke they still yeah get blown up yeah what you got man is that like I don't know from my point of view NC State was another uh high ball pressure team Right, and so Syracuse has struggled with these teams. You look at a Virginia Tech, uh, specifically. You look at those a, guards were hawking Howard in battle. Yeah, yeah, so you look at those lineups, and then maybe this is why Buddy Beheim only got uh, 15 minutes in this one after he had play been playing really well. Um, yeah, he couldn't get in a rhythm either. It was that guard defense up top? Um, C.J. Doyle was really good. He had a big block on battle at that elbow line. You don't see him get blocked a lot on those right. plays. Howard couldn't get moving with the ball. It was just a disaster if, up top. If you're an opposing team, why not pressure Syracuse like NC State did? Because realistically, I mean, you have Tyus able I, to get by the first defender. I know what you're going to say. You have Jalen Carey able to get by the first defender, but Frank's not. Elijah's not. Buddy's not. You can't put it in the center's hands. Yeah, and you can't put it in the center's hands. So... You're going to make two guys beat you, and that's if Jalen Carey's seeing the floor. So the teams that play heavy ball pressure, and so this might be something to look out for come tournament time. Uh, if Syracuse draws a matchup with a team that plays good on-ball defense, Syracuse is going to struggle. And a lot of the best teams in the country do. Duke does. We're going to see that Saturday. Trey oh, Jones is back. God. R.J. Barrett's back. It could get ugly if they if that they pull out that on them in that sense. And Louisville's going to be tough on Wednesday, too. So, I mean, we're really going to see the f- possible flaws in the Syracuse team get tested. Can they circumvent them? First and foremost, I think my positive takeaway from this game is that Marek Dolajai 
still looks calm, cool, and collected. He's playing center well. He got put out on the wing alongside Sadibe when they went with the whole bench, and he was swiping passes to the back line. And Q's got right back into the game with that bench lineup, forcing turnovers. Robert Braswell deserves a ton of credit in that sense, too. So with Chukwu doing absolutely nothing right now, you're going to like this. Yeah. Why yeah. not Why not go back to Dolajai as the starting center? Why not? Um, I, you know, I can't figure it out uh, other than... He's the most consistent player on this team. Right. Other than, well, at this point, yeah, it was Elijah Hughes, and now Elijah Hughes has been MIA for yeah. how many? Six games now. I actually have a piece coming out on Elijah Hughes, probably publishing tomorrow. Um, that being Monday. So take a look out for that. Uh, shameless plug there. But yeah, Dolajai has become consistent. Um, you're not getting anything from Chukwu or Sidibe. Uh, I mean, Sidibe didn't play horrible this game. He was fine. But Chukwu and Sidibe aren't even, like, giving you the defensive lift that you need. So why not just throw your best offense out on the floor? Like, we've been saying this for how long now? We've been saying this since the beginning of the season. And Dolajai does a nice job getting to the rim. He had a couple drives to the lane. He finishes well. Um, even if he isn't going through contact, he's accepting contact well. Uh, 10 points, 5... Wait, 10 points, 5 rebounds, that must be. Yeah. 3 steals. Um, he was playing scrappy, too. He was, uh, he was getting in there on loose balls, and he was, you know, uh, really poking, poking uh, in the zone, poking probing, like, finding ways to, you know... Just be involved on every play. And he was getting that downhill movement going toward the room, which he hasn't done a ton this year, but I think he realized in that situation that they needed to get action going toward the rim, and he did. So he was phenomenal in that game. The silver lining was his emergence again, and he's been on a streak where he's been impactful for this team off the bench again and again and again. You just want him out there as much as you possibly can. And I think he can survive at center for that stretch. He's shown that he can, and he did it again against NC State, even though they had Sadibe out there for stretches. And that's something you can do too. You know, run that Sadibe Dolajai pairing. That's been successful for them. So I, I love the idea of going to him more if Chukwu's going to do nothing because honestly what's the point of having just Chukwu out there for the hell of it if he's not going to rebound not going to block shots he can't get involved in the offensive game it's just a waste of time yeah uh, Dolajai saw 12 minutes at center um, quick easy math will tell you you know you could just look at Sidibe's minutes plus Chukwu's minutes and then subtract that number from 40 that'll tell you how many yeah. Dolajai got and here's the difference Howard and Chukwu have both been struggling and that's been a story since the Florida State game they need Howard to make their run. They need him to be involved. I don't think they need Chukwu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, necessarily. No. They'd love to have him, and he's a big boost when he's playing well, but I don't think they necessarily need him. You know, I, I think that on last week's show that we were talking about this uh, regarding Frank Howard, about how this team needs him, and I might have done a 180 on that this week. Now, hear me out here. And this is this is a, a half, half-baked half thought, so help me out. Um the best lineup Syracuse has is Ty's battle at the point guard. You want the ball in his hands as much as possible. No, it didn't work against NC State. It did not work against NC State because uh, Ty's like couldn't get going. But how many minutes did Ty's play without uh, without a point guard on the floor? Frank was on the floor for 28 minutes. Jalen Carey was on the floor for nine minutes, and that's the all that's left without Jalen or Frank on the floor are two minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that Ty's was playing with the ball in his hands, and it was foul trouble too, right? But you know what? Like, Tyus needs the ball in his hands because we can't afford for him to go invisible like he did against NC State. Then you probably want a shooter on the floor, uh, a Buddy Bayheim, uh, 
and Elijah Hughes, and then you probably need one secondary ball handler. Yep. So and that's maybe, Dolajai. Yeah, Dolajai can be that. He's capable of playing with the ball in his hands. So like you can't you can't have the lineup of battle uh, without a secondary ball handler if you're facing a team like an NC State or a Virginia Tech, but. You could put Dolajai onto the floor and give him like at least a little bit of an outlet, someone that can make plays with the ball in his hand. They're gonna need that versatility going forward. And my big thing with Howard still is they're the best defensive version of themselves when he's out there. So that is a boost in a sense. He's able to score in spurts when he's at his best, so that's a boost. And he just recognizes situations better than anybody out there. You know, for Bayheim, he's gonna help them in spurts. I don't think he can be a go-to guy for this team in the sense that yeah, he's still getting used to the system on both ends of the floor, and Howard just brings that situational awareness. I mean, there's a reason he played so much and had such a big role in beating Duke because he was able to identify so many things about that team. True. Yeah, I agree there. Um we could also talk about Jalen Carey for a second here. He yeah. gets nine, nine minutes, partially due to foul trouble, but I don't think that it. he was getting in before the team was really uh, deeply in foul trouble. And uh, I'm theorizing that he must have had a conversation with Jim Behan. <laughs> because, That's your theory. Yeah, because, and I, I, I've, I've told you guys about some of my theories here, but I think that this one's not far-fetched at all. Uh, Jalen Carey sees nine minutes of the floor, he kind of gets in somewhat early. I forget when he checked in, but it, I think it was around, like, you know, the 12-minute mark he's getting in. And he was playing active and stuff, and, but, like, it was kind of just out of nowhere. Like, why why that game? What would, in, like, what would make Jim Beheim put Jalen Carey in other than a conversation? Well, he'll say, like, a good week of practice or something, but he's yeah. been saying that all year, and he has been in the doghouse for a lot of this time now. <laughs> Good week of practice. That's one of my favorite, not favorite, like favorite ironically, you know, like yeah, it's, you know. it's so annoying. <laughs> oh, yeah, he had a good week of practice. You know, that's a, that's a good uh, coach speak. And we know, and we know Beheim, what's like the assistants and people run a lot of the functions of the practice. So, you know, how much is he really like Dude, I can tell you from, from there, being so. there, he like, he's only in on the five on five yeah. scrimmages. Yeah, so, you know, I do wonder what prompted that because it was early it was different from the way they've approached past deficits maybe the matchup called for it maybe the guard pressure called for it but again I mean he's someone asking for playing time pretty definitively with the social media conversation we had last week you gotta do something with the minutes and he he really didn't yeah I mean yeah he didn't do much I thought he looked all right on the defensive end He's super and he athletic. will. He's a great defender, and he, he rebounds extremely well for the guard position, yeah. too. The flow is probably just part of it. Nine minutes isn't a lot of time to develop some flow, but when you're in that position on the roster, it's what you have to do. Let's get him some run. I'm, I'm a Jalen. You know, I'm, I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm, I'm pro Jalen Carey, and if you're, if you're willing to get behind me, I think that we could call this a pro Jalen Carey podcast. He's got to uh, do. He's got to show me something. That hesitation. <laughs> he's got to show me something, and he did show us something in New York. He showed us twenty point games in New York. We'll get there. So there's something there. <laughs> it's just, you know, he's been out of the flow for so long now. They're about to go into the fire. Is now the time? I don't know. Yeah, um, and then Bobby Braswell. You mentioned him earlier. Seven. Bobby minutes. Braswell. Yeah, <laughs> seven minutes. 
he had a point on a free throw. Uh, he looked pretty good on the defensive end, had three steals. He cu- he literally cut off about three balls in a row trying to go to the back line. So him and Dolezal were just cutting off passes left and right on both ends of the zone. That was my favorite part of the game when they were doing that, and that's what got them back in the game. Right. People people on social media obviously real excited about this. They want to see uh they want to see the young guy playing. They want to see what uh what they have in someone that they haven't seen much of this season. Um, but yeah, he's. I think Braswell's more more or less of a project for right now. Like, I don't think that these minutes mean anything. So we talked about Carey going in, and Braswell hasn't played at all, at all this season either. Why do you think we saw it on a Bayheim team that's traditionally you know, cut short, six seven guys? Why do you think we saw a full bench lineup toward the end of the first half in that game? There was literally Braswell, Sadibe, Dolzhai and carry out there with battle, I believe. I mean, so yeah, it was a foul trouble, obviously, but then, the, like, they weren't playing that poorly down the stretch, right? Or, I mean, I think that they were actually playing well, because I remember sitting there kind of laughing at the game. I'm like, what and is going on? I don't know if on? it was well, but both teams were playing horrible, and it was close. Right, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, you're right. That's a better way to phrase it. Yeah. Like, they were they were at least not playing poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Beheim was like, just get us into halftime, guys. Like, hopefully. I mean, Syracuse was only down three at halftime, so, like, Bayheim had to be pretty happy with that, with how many minutes he got out of his second group, you know, and then you head into halftime with a three-point lead, you're able to rest your starters a little bit, you're able to keep them out of further foul trouble, um, and yeah, so it was like, what, the half finished 30-27, to 27, mm-hmm. and so at about the four-minute mark, Syracuse is down by 10, and then Syracuse kind of climbs back and I guess game, picks up seven points on NC State there. They got to the free throw line a ton, but they actually only hit four of eight during that stretch, which right. was tough because they could have went to halftime with a lead and they left that on the table. Yeah, you're looking at a couple, like, Marek Dolajai plays. You're looking at Barama Sadibe coming down with some rebounds. Frank Howard hits a three there. Yeah, so interesting Bob Broswell steal. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It was cool that they were able to get some run. That was the best part of the game because that's really as close as they drew. The second half was just a disaster. Battle had to sit for a while with the foul trouble. Brissett got into it early in the first half, so he was never able to build off anything in that sense. And still, Hughes. Yeah. I, I was just in awe of how consistent he was to start the year. Now we get a 2 of 10 night, you said there. Oof. Yeah, oh, it's 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 been rough. Uh and it's, I've got it's consistency with this roster. It really is. They need to be a more level-headed version of themselves night in and night out because we're seeing extremes, extreme shocking wins and just stunning losses. I mean, NC State is a good team, but we saw Virginia Tech hold them to 24, and that's why I felt Syracuse could win this game. I mean, right. then they dropped 70-plus on Syracuse. So they obviously were not the best version of themselves in that game. All right, I got some numbers for you. Um, this is in my article that will be publishing on Elijah Hughes. Um, over the first 19 games of the season, Hughes was averaging 15.3 points, 4.5 rebounds on 38% shooting from three. Since then, the last six games, his averages have fallen to 8.5 points, so almost a seven-point drop, 3.7 rebounds, about a rebound drop, and 26% from three. That is 12 points. Now, all right, I'm I'm in the camp where, like, I imagine that this cold stretch of shooting isn't indicative of Hughes all of a sudden becoming a worse shooter. I think that it's just some bad luck, poor variance, maybe slightly worse slots, shot selection because maybe he's got a quicker trigger uh, since he's not getting anything going otherwise. But this team can't afford for Elijah Hughes to just 
revert to a sharpshooter role on the team because they already have that in Buddy Beheim. They need Elijah Hughes to be an athletic wing that can get to the basket and make plays. And he's fallen away from that. Well, over 60% of his shots are three-point attempts. So he essentially became that spot-up guy once conference play came around. And I think that forced teams, as we talked about, we were very early in on his struggles. They forced him to put it on the ground, and that has not worked well for him. Yeah, it's He's got to find other ways to do it. He's got to be able to produce on the ball because, realistically, that's what they're going to expect him to do next year and going into tournament play. he needs to, If he's going to be that guy on the wing, he's got to be a secondary playmaker, and he has struggled to do that, and I think that's where all his struggles stem from really is those ball handling issues yeah definitely and I've got a few gifs in this article you know he he runs himself into a charge on one of them he uh he runs himself into a steal on another and then he travels on another when he tries to stop so like I I point out first first it becomes recognition he needs to know when people are coming when he's driving to the basket uh, he's got to be able to like drive with his head up, and sometimes he doesn't do that. He puts his head down, kind of like Brissett, uh, and he's got his mind set on getting to the basket. It's, it's a balance there because he's looking to score almost all the time when he gets his hands on the ball, which is great because when you have an aggressive guy who's going to shoot, 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 and he's always over 10 attempts a game, it, it's going to power you offensively sometimes because he has had games this year where his just pure ability to put a ton of shots up has put points on the board that Hughes is needed to win. On the other hand, sometimes when a guy has a ball in, the ha- in his hands, he has to look in other directions when the pressure's coming, when they're trying to pressure a guy who's known now to have those ball handling issues. So yeah. there's a balance there. you got to be aggressive, but you also got to be smart. Right, yeah. Even when he is recognizing, like with his head up, he he's walking or he doesn't have the uh, capabilities of you know, uh, bringing the ball out and maintaining his dribble mm-hmm. while swinging the ball back. Or, you know, uh, changing his mind in midair and hitting someone for a better look. Mm-hmm. You know, he, Yeah, you never see that. He's not, he's not there right now. And that's probably not his job at the end of the day, but you do need the capability to do it. Right. And he hasn't even and shown he, that. Yeah, no, he hasn't shown it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about from this NC State game? No, that one's going to go in the trash can. Yeah, that one, throw the tape out. Maybe, maybe not. No. Uh, he might need it, need it to address some of the, uh, There's some too of the many ball handling in the trash already. Yeah, true. Um, awards time. Uh, the finesse award, and this is a tough week for awards, you know, like only one game and yeah. not a good one at that. The finesse award going to Jalen Carey himself. Uh, for getting himself more minutes, uh, we're gonna carry. We're gonna pretend that this uh, this conversation happened. We're gonna pretend it's fact, and we're gonna say Jalen Carey finessed himself some more minutes. <laughs> you want to go for the milk carton award? Well, yeah, it's Tyus Battle, and we have not seen quite a disappearance from him. And if you give him a little bit of leeway with the foul trouble, you usually don't see that with him, which is strange. I I can't remember the last time before this game that he had foul trouble. Normally he's three max. In this game he was to forward midway through the second half and had to take a seat, and that basically took him out of the game. The turnovers piled up, and he wasn't able to get involved offensively. On nights where that happens to this degree, the Syracuse will very rarely win, and they didn't even reach 60 points in this one, which is concerning to say the least. Yeah, Syracuse yeah. can't afford to have Ty's battle. Uh, go ghost like this. Uh, That's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, so that was an easy one. No, that man has a family award this week. Uh, there was no instance 
uh, where a Syracuse player made a play that uh, we could be emphatic and get excited about, you know. When there's as many three shot in the game as that, you're not going to have a lot of that. Yep. So tournament talk, we kind of did that already, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to circle back around on that. Up next, you got Louisville at home on Wednesday. Louisville's kind of uh, reeling a little bit. So uh, for those of you that aren't following it, uh, Louisville blew a Good 23. Lord. I don't know how you couldn't have seen this. Louisville blew a 23-point lead uh, to Duke in the second half with like 10 minutes left. Um, and that was crazy. And then Louisville hosts Clemson. Um, and then beats Clemson by one. Clemson had a shot up at the buzzer that would have won them the game, just missed. Um, so Louisville's kind of heading in the wrong direction. They got to go on the road to the Carrier Dome on Wednesday. Fans, like, let's make a request. And this is a formal request. I'm requesting fans, you guys listening out there, get up for this game. I don't want a Boston College crowd. <laughs> I don't want a Boston. I want a Boston College crowd size, but I need you guys to carry some energy. This team is reeling, and Syracuse can put it in its place with a good crowd, with some energy being brought into the Carrier Dome from the fans. And there's a ton to gain from this game, too. That's a core Tower 1 team, easy. That's a top 20 team in the country. And it frustrated me to watch them lose the way they did to Duke because... I honestly love what the Louisville team has done this year. They have just pounced all over the competition all year long. They weren't even in the conversation for a a top 25 spot before the year, and they're on their third coach in three years after the Patino scandal. So they have solidified themselves among the best in the conference. They go out and build a 20-point lead on Duke with six minutes left, and to watch them methodically blow it the way they did... It just shows the ebbs and flows of that ACC schedule. They built themselves up so strongly in the beginning, and now they're putting themselves in position where it falls a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I was rooting for Duke. I don't know about you. Uh, just what Duke was doing was remarkable. Um, was it Duke or was it Louisville? Because I saw Louisville slipping on wet spots on the floor. I saw them turning the ball over every place that they had to. You're right. But Duke, Duke's pressure was incredible, man. Like, they they yeah. had Louisville playing on their heels. Like, yeah, all right, Louisville did fumble the game away. You don't—Duke doesn't win that game without Louisville making its fair share of mistakes. Mm-hmm. But Duke was awesome. That was frustrating This is watch. one of the more rootable Duke teams, man, like, of recent memory. How many—are there players that you hate on this Duke team? Maybe not yet. But like, well, certainly there's no Grace and Allen presence, which was fairly consistent. No Grace and Allen. Years. No uh, John Shire. <laughs> no. Who are the, Do you like Jack White? Do you like um? Who's who's the other guy who's coming off the bench for them against uh, Syracuse? The guy who's taking all those threes. Can't think oh, of his name. Uh, yeah, what's his name? He did us a favor. He went like what o thirteen or something. That, that was Jack White, but there was another guy who was actually killing Syracuse off their bench. So those guys will probably get a little bit irritating in the Q's sense. But, you know, Zion's unbelievable. The fact that we're going to see him firsthand is special. And Q's just can't get looking over that Louisville game because they have a week off now. There's only two days to turn around between Louisville and Duke. That's a scary schedule. I mean, it almost reminds me of that quick turnaround they had to Virginia Tech, which ended up being a disaster. Yeah, but Duke's got the same. Duke's got Louisville on Wednesday, right? I mean, not Louisville, UNC on Wednesday. Yes, that's so right. So hopefully, hopefully UN, uh 
UNC wears Duke out a little Duke bit. Duke has the hardest schedule in the country, I believe. So they've been going through this all year and just shredding through it. A gauntlet. Is it? It's still hard to believe Syracuse put up 95 in a game, isn't it? Yeah, right? <laughs> so crazy uh, after, after right. what we saw this week. Yeah, so that'll wrap it up. Uh, fans, get out to the stadium and get loud on Wednesday. I'm excited for um, this week. These are This is what the ACC is all about, these big, big games. And Q's... Is either going to prove it or lose it at this point. Yeah, and d- grab yourself some brews and sit down on the couch on Wednesday night. Enjoy some good college basketball. Syracuse-Louisville, if you're not heading out to the game, of course. And then Duke-UNC, that'll be an awesome matchup. Uh, so that'll wrap it up. Uh, come out to Wolf's Beer Garden with us. And on- see, see the v- faces behind these voices. Yes, yeah, so get out to <laughs> Wolf's Beer Garden uh, noon to 4 on Saturday before the Duke game. Um, we'll see you there. Uh, thanks for joining us on Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball. Uh, for Bobby Manning, at Real Bob Manning on Twitter. I'm Dylan Finer, at Defines31 on Twitter. Go follow the blog at Noons Magician, doc, uh, at Noons Magician and NoonsMagician.com. Have a good week, everybody. Have a good week, and take care. And go Orange. <laughs>